0: Welcome back. We're here for part two with Diana Nichols, the great, the wonderful one. Um, I did not pre-record. I did not think about what I was going to say today. So there you go. Yeah, yeah it just came great. out. So <laughs> um, how are you going? How have you been since last time we chatted? Yeah, good.
1: Good. I've good. actually really enjoyed our chat last oh, well, week.
0: Hopefully, hopefully you enjoy this one as well. So yeah, um, yeah we, we spoke last time about... More so about the endometriosis and anxiety, um, and we also, but we also touched on the pregnancy, um, the premature birth of your twin girls, and we've touched on your book as well. I'm going to talk a lot more about that today. I guess the first question I'm going to ask is is around your anxiety leading into, and we did touch on this last last chat, the how you will sort of teach your girls about emotional resilience and mental health and well-being because I have found this business, which I'm going to give a shout out to. So um, they're called Jellystone Designs. And we talked about it off air. So you haven't heard of Jellystone Designs?
1: No. No.
0: So Jellystone Designs um, create non-toxic silicone teeters for bubs. They design and create toys for sensory play as well. So, um, They're actually going to send out some – they're creating some, like, mental health and emotional well-being things for um, children as well. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, they're going to send something out and um, I'm sure it's going to be great because they – some of their toys and stuff are awesome. So yeah, that leads me to the question, you know, what are you going to do to help your, you know, kids – with that side of mental health and, and emotional resilience as they grow up. And when when do you think the right time to sort of start talking to them about it in the future, about what you went through?
1: Uh, oh, about what I went through. You know, I was actually just thinking of this just over the weekend. Obviously I'm gonna give them, my book is for them. And I, re, I mean, I don't wanna wish time away, but I look forward to the day where I do hand them a copy of the book each. Yep. um and you know when i, I just I, you can't predict when the right time is going to be i just i just have to wait really i could think you know early teens or late teens or so i think it's really just a matter of waiting to see as they get older and just pick up on their signs of when i think they'll be ready um because a lot of it look as a teenager maybe reading about you know what i went through while they were while I was pregnant, might be a bit hard for them to understand some of those things. So not,
0: so, so 13th birthday, when they wake up, you're going to have a book, go, here you go. here you
1: go, (laughs) here's the story. (laughs) Good luck, good luck,
0: good luck sleeping for the next couple of
1: days. (laughs) I think I've just really got to wait. I can't, I can't even picture now. They're four in, you know, less than three weeks. Um. yeah, trying to work out when, I have just really got to wait for the signs, I think, with both of them, um, to talk to them about my story anyway. But, you know, I, I just want them, the, the biggest thing for me and teaching them about anxiety and mental health would be to make it a very open conversation. Yeah. Yeah, so there's no, you know, and not not sort of shutting their feelings down. Yeah, you know just as they're you know if something's not quite right you know a lot of the things that people typically say just maybe because we don't know what to say but oh it'll be okay or oh you'll feel better tomorrow or what that's just you know a really quick (laughs) Uh, very basic but um it's actually just acknowledgement of what they're feeling yeah so I think it's not so much about teaching them it's more about how i behave with them and listen to them um and yeah we all say you know break that stigma but not making a deal out of it like it's oh you have feelings and oh you know we just don't talk about feelings like i just think making it really really comfortable for them to talk about
0: yeah i think the good thing is um like with the company i just talked about and with um yeah did a lot of work with Mindful Oz, they're helping engage kids in understanding their emotions. So, because there's a difference between anxiety and nerves, where anxiety, you'll tend to feel more in your chest, but nerves, you feel more in your stomach. But if you don't understand that there's a difference, you're going to just feel heightened. So the longer that you grow up without understanding it, the more problematic it becomes. And so there is the thankful thing for, I guess, for our kids growing up is we're not going to have to be the teachers of all of this stuff. We're going to be the role models and they're going to learn a lot of this stuff at school or in workshops or with potentially toys or or books and stuff. Or
1: even, like, kids' shows.
0: Yeah. yeah. They
1: put on kids' shows. It's amazing.
0: They're so deep.
1: (laughs) They are. even I'm singing along and you know but like the stuff that they they um you know um things like you know it's okay to be angry or it's okay to be sad and all the things that they're teaching them just in in kids shows it's yeah it's it just keeps it really light as yeah. like they, they will just start singing to it or you know we'll be in the car one day and they'll just start you know repeating what I've heard on Pepper Pig or whatever, yeah. it is. and um, and it's good because it's it's not a deal. It's it's just it is what it is. If that makes yeah. sense, in yeah, oh, it
0: definitely head. makes sense. Yeah, and so I think that's.
1: I, I grew up thinking it was such a big deal. I cannot show how I feel if I cry in front of people. It, it's just the worst thing ever. You've got to hold those t- or apologizing for crying.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I still um,
1: automatically do it if I'm about to. Cry, I'll be like, you know, I'll apologize, but it's that—that's just changing that sort of language in your own mind.
0: Yeah, I spoke about this with who did I speak about this with? Some someone the other day, and I said you don't realize what you've been taught sometimes until you have kids of your own. Yeah, and when you see them going through your stuff, all of a sudden your like parents and your upbringing comes through you, and you're like, oh, where did that come from? I didn't understand that was in me, and then you have to step out of it and then go, no, I want to follow this direction because this is what's going to help the girls grow up or yeah. boys, whatever um, your ch- children are, um, to move forward. So you have to – and I think and no matter what training you do, once the real-life kids come into it, it all kind of gets washed away a little bit for the for the oh, yeah. first part. So, yeah. And obviously we're talking happily about um, – the two beautiful girls who light up Instagram, who light up the book in in many many photos, but it was it was anything but. And you've openly you openly admit this is anything but a happy time uh, when the pregnancy was announced. Um, there was obviously the endometriosis, which um, you know, causes complications getting pregnant and all that. But initially, when you found out you're pregnant. Um, you know how, how do you and Cam you know, sort of go through that process individually and together
1: when I found out yeah well, I was actually in Queensland by myself oh. <laughs> <laughs> on a little break because I love getting away on my own and I was so sick for days as soon as I got there I was so so sick and I thought well maybe I'm just getting a really bad period because I would always get really sick we and still do with periods. But um I thought it but then I couldn't eat a thing. And I ended up cutting the trip short and I just ran Cam and I said, Look, I'm coming home because I feel so sick and I can't eat and I'm trying to run and trying to relax and nothing's working. So I'm coming home. And then sort of on my way home I thought, okay, I'm due the next day and if I don't have it then I must be pregnant because this yeah. is so bizarre. Anyway, yeah, turns out I was pregnant. Um so I was pretty nervous at first. I went and saw the, and obviously I rang Cam and told Cam and he was excited and, but I was really more nervous. Like I, I wasn't really relaxed from the beginning. I went back and saw the obstetrician who diagnosed me with endometriosis. And I remember the first thing she did was she gave me these huge congratulations. And I just remember thinking, really? Like I, I was just so nervous about it. Um because I just, and probably because of all the trouble I'd had leading up to that. Anyway, so we did the scan, um, which at that stage, we thought there was only one. Yep. Um, so for a, few, <laughs> for a few weeks there, I just thought I was pregnant with one until...
0: And you're already nervous.
1: Yeah, already nervous. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, like, anxiety sort of hit from the start, really. Yeah. And I don't know if that's just because... I'm naturally an anxious person or because of the trouble that we went through. But either way, I was anxious about it. Um, so then, I think it was about week 10, um, I'd had a bleed. I called my obstetrician and said, look, I've had a bleed. And she said, come in, we'll just check things out. And I was sort of lying on the, on the bed while she was scanning me. And I was, didn't know really where to look or what I was looking for or at. And I was, was worried I'd miscarried. Anyway, um, she sort of had this smirk on her face and she just said, have a look at this, you're carrying twins. And she goes, and I think they're identical. And then she goes, and I think there's only one placenta. Now we can either talk about that later on or not at all. Yeah. But that was part of the big problem with having identical twins, that there was only one. Anyway, so she she immediately sent me off to um, to go have a full proper scan just to make sure everything was developing well and at that stage it was um, and then basically I went back to see her after those that scan and she just said okay we just need to talk twins now identical twins um, a lot of risks come with it so we need to have a big chat about that.
0: Yeah. Just, a, just a question this is completely um, I guess out of my so when it comes to twins if they're identical is there only one but if there's if they're, I guess, not, like, not, what's normal twins, but...
1: Fraternal or unidentical. Paternal, yeah, yeah,
0: they have two, they have placenta each, is that Generally, the case? Generally,
1: um, with, with unidentical twins, which is fraternal twins, as far as I know, they will have their own placenta. Yep. Um, and they don't share a sac. So
0: like, that that's essentially why it's less complex less complicated yeah yeah,
1: Yeah. even fraternal twins as far as i know look i'm not an expert but just the little bit i learned about um as far as i know they can still have growth issues grow quicker than the other or whatever it might be but we in my case in rare cases for whatever reason they don't know why only one placenta can form Yep. And that means that you've got the two babies feeding off the one placenta, um, where they're basically getting off, getting all their nutrients. So yep. there could be an unequal share, which that's what happened in my case. And little Evie wasn't growing. Yeah. So, um, and in a nutshell, without surgery, which is what I had at twenty weeks, um, the girls wouldn't have made it. Under those yep. there was just no way they would have made it without surgery. So, yeah.
0: It's, it's reading the book and going through it and obviously experiencing it with a, a single child. Um, there's so there's so many ways we can go with this. So I hope for the listeners that I can encapsulate questions that they might want to know about, but if they do want to know other stuff, they can obviously purchase the book, which will be in the link, um, or follow you as well. But around that sort of tent, when, when you got told you're having twins, when you went back to see the obstetrician, is that when you were told that, all right, you need to change your lifestyle pretty quickly because this is pretty, like, dangerous, I guess?
1: I had a couple of weeks up my sleeves before things turned. Um, I had my 13 weeks. So they always said to me from day one, we just need to watch the way the girls are growing. Um, I had my 13-week scan They said, so far, everything's good. They're both growing fairly equally. One's a little bit small, but we're not too concerned. Then then from there, they said, we want you coming in for fortnightly scans because they're twins and higher risk. Um, So two weeks later, I went in and they said, okay, one twin hasn't grown as much. We need you back in a week. And that was around week 15 to 16. Um, So I went back that week. They could see that the little twin Evie hadn't. There was not much change. Evie Adrian was bigger. Evie was much smaller. They said we need you to go straight to Mercy, the Mercy Perinatal Team at the Mercy Hospital. Yeah. Um, and then I think I had so I went from my regular obstetrician to the Mercy Perinatal Team to another specialist. To like five obstetricians standing over me going wow look at this scenario um it's it's quite rare um, yeah. it's called twin to twin transfusion syndrome so um if anyone wants to look that up <laughs> but anyway so it's quite rare so it was basically that next appointment when i got to the mercy where we spent hours there going through everything getting told you know, some horrible things, you know, that we'd potentially have to consider. Um, and basically if we didn't have surgery, it meant that we would lose the pregnancy. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Um, and then at the end of the appointment, that was when the obstetrician said, okay, you need, because I started asking questions like, so when can I go back to work after <laughs> surgery? And when can I start training after surgery? You know, that's sort of what came to mind. And, you know, obviously with all the, Questions about myself and exercise was purely related to anxiety as well. Um, but right at the very end, she said, you might want to just see the year out, tell all your clients you won't, be, you won't be coming back. You know, maybe consider next year. So it was pretty much like in a day where everything had to stop.
0: Yeah. In, 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 that, in that moment, because it is a moment when you realise everything has drastically just changed with your life and you start to, I guess you probably started to question, would you ever get back to running? You know, would this drastically change? Like your mind starts to run. They might not be the exact questions, but your mind really starts to race. And there's doubt, there's confusion. There's just probably this whole toxic array of emotions, which overcomes you. You know, how did you manage to get through that, you know, not just you, but as a team with Cam, because yeah. going through pregnancy, any pregnancy with anyone, and, um, you know, I, I have the utmost respect for any single mothers. Now going through this as a team is hard enough, let alone individually, yeah. you know, how did you guys get through it and how did you manage? Because um, as we spoke about last week, running was everything to you yeah. and it was, you know, it was taken away in an instant.
1: Yeah. Well, initially... You know, I really panicked, and I just remember it so so clearly when the obst- obstetrician said to me, um, "No, you can't run, you can't walk, you can't train, like you can't do anything." And I was, I was even trying to negotiate with her some walking. I'm like, "How does it for like ten minutes every day?" Like, you know, like she's like, "You can pot around and you can go to the supermarket." <laughs> but I just remember my panic. I was just like, "I, I this is." I use running to help with, I mean, I love running, okay. I, I just, I do love it. Um, but I also use it to help with anxiety and manage mental health. So the first thing I thought was, I have no idea how I'm going to get through this with no training. Like there was no other option available. Um, so the first few weeks, well, initially the first, well, I'll say the first week sort of based on memory, I was really panicking a lot. Like I, I wouldn't want to go to bed at night because I was so worried that I'd just end up having an anxiety attack while I was lying there. Because yeah. obviously going to bed, you've got more time to think or you've just stopped or there's no appointments. or So I was really, really like I had a lot of withdrawal symptoms. I felt claustrophobic. I, I used to have to sleep with the hallway light on. Um, just really, really, it's just strange things because I just suddenly just felt so, so stuck. Um, and then obviously, sort of after the initial, you know, week or so, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to have to find a way to deal with this. Yeah. Cam, Cam, was really supportive. Um, you know, if I was really panicking through the night, or um, you know, he'd help settle me. Um, but his days sort of went on as normal, like he. He'd go to work, which was perfectly fine because we had to kind of live some normal life.
0: Yeah, of course. He'd go yeah, to work
1: or he'd come to the um come to the hospital, you know, for the scan because they were every few days. Then he'd head off to work, but then I'd go home, and I'd sort of just think, okay, what am I going to do with myself? And that's pretty much how the book came about.
0: Yeah, yeah. and I, I've got the I've got the quote from the introduction. It turns out that running and training weren't my only options. Although I felt like it at the time, I could manage my anxiety and depression in other ways. Yeah. I think it's, I didn't. Alicia highlighted that quote as well, so yeah. it must have resonated with her. And yeah, we we touched on it last week. Life is going to throw up these huge curveballs, um, and there there is other ways out there. And you found that, and you you wrote, um, and you didn't write to write a book. You just wrote.
1: Yeah, I just wrote. And I, and I used to jokingly say, oh, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to publish it. I'm going to, you know, going <laughs> to, going to, going to. And, like, I think I just kept, I don't know why I kept telling myself that because I didn't have this dream to ever write a book. But writing it, I just, I just documented all my, my, most of my, appointments in the hospital and a lot of it was to write about how I was dealing with my own anxiety and not being able to run and how much I missed running and so a lot of it was about that through the diary entries and obviously about the scans and where the girls were at Um, but so much of it was just for my mental health and it wasn't until because obviously there's a period of time where I wrote while I was pregnant then I stopped when I was in NICU and Special Care Nursery, and then yep. I'm really glad I picked it up again when the girls came home because the second part of it, writing really became my therapy just through postnatal depression. Yeah. I'd feel... So the first half was almost writing because I was so anxious and the second half I was writing because I was so depressed. And
0: <laughs> it's, I'm, ama- like, it's amazing to think that. The same thing can help for like, such a different... Yeah like complex emotion, yeah. but essentially both controlled by the mind and the body.
1: Yeah. And um, the,
0: yeah, so you go. You go. And
1: I, I had, like, after the girls were born, I did get back to running very, very quickly, um, but I just chose to because I, I needed to, and that's just how I roll, really.
0: I was going to say against doctor's advice a little bit. Maybe. <laughs> Definitely. Maybe.
1: <laughs> And I was happy to just wing it. (laughs) And I paid enough attention to my body and I was lucky that I had years of training. I mean, I don't recommend it to everybody, but I had a lot of conditioning behind me and years of training behind me. And like we mentioned in the first part of this um, podcast, self-awareness, I've got a lot of self-awareness. So I sort of know when I've pushed it too much or need to back off a little bit. So yeah, I did a yeah. lot of that first year after the girls were born. I look back now and I think, really, like, but I was really—it was either that or, I don't know. It was sort of, I needed that back. I needed the book. I was seeing my shrink. It was all part of getting myself back up and well running. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
0: and and you did. you like. So we we touched on the medication side of things. We touched on you were seeing, um, yeah, a therapist. You yeah. were writing. You at you. There was, a, there was a, a lot of things that were really able to get you through, but as it, as it comes back to, you know, we've all got a love and a passion and a purpose and that, that can always be the, like the cherry on top which is running for you.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, and it, it is. It's a combination of things and that's why I've actually put, I put in the front of my book after the after the two um dedications i think where is it no after the chapters i i used to say it takes a village to heal a mother um and i know the saying is it takes a, hilli- a village to um what what is the saying it oh, takes i don't a- know to raise a, a baby yeah yeah so i used yeah. to say it takes a village to heal a mother because i needed i felt at the time i needed a lot of help in different areas and there were so many different areas that um you know, whether it was running with people in the running community or seeing my shrink, um, it sort of came from different, different areas, yeah.
0: I, this right. I'm reading a couple of quotes here from the book. Uh, so these are your diary entries. So today I found myself walking down the hospital hallway and everything around me felt like it was in slow motion. My head was spinning. How am I going to have surgery while I'm pregnant with twins? I've never once thought that I was incapable of achieving something, but right now I have no idea how I'm going to get through this part of my pregnancy. I guess my question to that is, there's a lot of doubt, you know, you are having, you said it before, a scan every few days. You got a little bit emotional when I read that, did I? I? That's why I didn't want to look at the screen and just concentrate on what I was reading. And
1: this is where I'm about to apologise for crying.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, um, uh, you had appointments, you know, every few days through yeah. through that doubt, you know, how, how did you get through it in hindsight? And it and it probably wasn't probably wasn't rosy, you know, it probably wasn't a magical. It was it was really, really tough. You know, how did you get through this 30? Oh, it's probably from the 10-week mark to the 30-week yeah. mark where you, you every couple of days you're in hospital. There's yeah. this scares along the way, there's the reality that one or both children may not survive um mm-hmm. how, how do you get through that uh
1: literally scan by scan like I I sort of and I know we touched on this in the last chat but I had to sort of shut off my emotions a little bit like in terms of you know creating that bond with my baby so it was really just you know I'd we'd go in there and we're like okay twin one twin two or twin a twin B and it was very just factual. Like every time we'd go in there, we'd get the results of the next scan and then we'd work out where to go from there. Um, And that was pretty much how I had to deal with it. Like it was a job in a way. It was tasks where I'd go, all right, well my next scan is on, I might have a scan on a Tuesday. The next one might be on the Thursday. So it's like, okay, so Tuesday I'm getting up You know, I was always every morning I had to get up, have a shower, make my bed, have breakfast, even if it meant that I sat back on the couch or got back into bed, they were like disciplines that I just had to do because I just knew if I didn't do those small basic things, I'd end up really depressed and in bed for days. So
0: did you you find there was a hard line between really like looking after yourself and making sure that you were healthy so the babies had the best chance as well because like it's it's factual when you have kids and stuff you you become pretty self like you are i I guess we're very selfish as human beings Mm. so we tend to want to when we're struggling do these things which aren't very helpful for our body and you know did you find that was really hard to you know you couldn't do that you could or couldn't do these things that might affect the children that you were you know you needed to give every fighting chance to like what was that balance like
1: oh it was hard because like I knew like even just well running was completely out but I'm sure I probably tried to sneak a walk in but then having said that my blood pressure was so low and I had no energy. So I really, really <laughs> too much walking anyway, early, early on. Um, but it was hard because I knew not that, not that it was going to be my act, my actions that were going to determine what was going on, but I needed, I wasn't able to use up my energy. If that makes sense. Because oh, it does, does to yeah, me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So know that's why they say you know don't get your heart rate over a certain number and all sorts of things for different women um but that was hard you know even just eating my diet was all the fast food you could find in melbourne like (laughs) i'm pretty health conscious but all i could stomach was hot chips yeah you know, or burgers. And like, this was like every few days or sugar, high sugar. But that was also because my body was, I wasn't well, the babies weren't well. My body was probably just wanting, you know, a quick hit of energy. So it's saying I want high fat or I want sugar. Um, So then not eating right was just, making me almost feel well better because it's all I could stomach but then worse because I'm like I don't normally eat this way yeah normally I'm you know got my training routine happening every day and so it was just really all over I was pretty all over the shop in that way but tried to find a new normal in that if that makes sense
0: yeah it does and I'm I'm reading on the next part of the book where he said here we go more tears don't apologize i woke in a state of panic just after 2am i felt like i couldn't breathe this was on the morning of the scan at the monash at 16 weeks and six days i felt claustrophobic i couldn't stop crying and i had no control it was an anxiety attack the only thing that calmed me down was knowing i had to stay calm for the sake of the twins stay calm for them stay calm for them i kept repeating this over my in my head and, I, and this is, I love this bit. Unable to sleep, I flicked, flicked around on Instagram and came across mm-hmm. a post by Inky Johnson, an NFL football player who suffered an injury after a tackle during a football game. It left his right arm paralyzed and ended his football career. He spoke about how this changed his life completely. but one part that stood out to me was something his dad said to him. No matter how hard you work, there is somebody on the inside of you that works even harder. No matter how dedicated you are, there is someone on the inside of you that is more dedicated. No matter how committed you are, there is someone on the inside of you that is more committed. I need you to understand the concept that there is another person on the inside of you Because one day in your life, you will face something that's a lot tougher than you and your strength and your drive and your commitment. (laughs) I'm going to cry as well here. your work ethic won't do it you'll have to realize that it's something on the inside of you that's greater than anything life can throw at you Hmm. it's pretty incredible like we both got tears in our eyes Hmm. but like it's amazing how and i it's not a coincidence that we see these things we look for we look for things that get us through this moment in time if we want a reason to feel angry we'll scroll social media to find that reason Hmm. in that time of need you were probably scrolling until you found something that was able to get you through that moment in time. And I hope people listening to that are in, just inspired it for whatever they're going through because we never think we're strong enough until we're in a position where we have to be strong enough. Yeah. And that's, that's essentially where you were at for your whole pregnancy.
1: Yeah. is And initially I that part you read about me walking down the hallway thinking I can't do this, like I actually thought there's no way I can have surgery while I'm pregnant. Like I'd been through surgery the year before, which, you know, that that was hard to get through. And then I pictured doing it all over again and thinking, but this time I'm pregnant with twins. Mm -hmm. How am I, they're going to, you know, possibly give me a general anesthetic, you know, have all this stuff done to me, but I'm carrying twins. And it wasn't until I heard that, post um I just I don't know what it was well, I still remember where I was, I was lying on the couch in the living room the, was, the lights were dim and um I I played it and it just for some reason calmed me and I just thought it's okay like it's it's okay like I will find strength somewhere <laughs> but before that I I genuinely, genuinely believe that there's it's impossible how how am I going to do what is ahead of me and at that stage I had no idea how much was ahead of me you know you know without even going into the part of them being born and then heading into NICU for months or in special care nursery like it's yeah
0: you stole one of my questions Um, for further along I was gonna ask you know hey hey had you been prepared for what was next to come, but from the sounds of it, it was impossible to prepare yourself. Because, re- and and realistically, this is actually probably the best thing you actually did. From where I'm coming across, you actually did live in the moment rather yeah. than panicking about Niku, yeah. um, yeah. because true. yeah, and it's it's a really incredible thing because people that's what people probably struggle with the most is that they're going, oh, no, what's going to happen to my babies at 30 weeks? And
1: yeah,
0: how's, how am I going to get through NICU when it's like oh, not, even, not even there yet? Like, yeah. Just focus yeah, yeah. on yeah, now.
1: It was literally scan by scan. And that's why I put all, well, the, the scans that I um, documented anyway, just briefly at the back of the book, um, because I don't know if you want me to tell you how many there were.
0: You can go for it. Well, yeah.
1: there were 52 ultrasounds.
0: Yeah.
1: In the end. So that's and and quite a few images that we got given that I'd just put into a folder because I'm like, I can't I can't look really look at these. And they're still in that folder. They're nearly four. <laughs> My stomach still flips whenever I bring this, bring them out. But um we really had to go. It wasn't even like a day-by-day day thing, it was you know, half days at a time because it might be that I go to the hospital in the morning and the scan results that we get from that from that scan might completely turn the day around. So it wasn't even like, okay, I'm off to my scan and then I'm going to go see a friend this afternoon because the scan, you just never knew what was going to come out of the scan and obviously there was the surgery, there were other procedures down the track, um, quite a few things that, we had to do, but yeah, it was literally scan by scan.
0: Oh well, yeah, it's, it, your chapter six is hour by hour, which is convenient because yeah. I flipped to that chapter as you were saying half oh, day yeah. and I was like, I think you give not even giving yourself enough credit there. It was hour by yeah. hour yeah. according it, to the And this. it really
1: <laughs> was, yeah.
0: Um, um the the next like the 20th to the 30th week after the surgery for that 10 weeks, obviously lots of scans. Um what was it what was it like because I know I I know I know roughly the answer but what was it like with the girls you know to give them both the best fighting chance of life but I mean you have this picture in your head that both babies are going to grow at the same rate they're going to do all this what was it actually like
1: um well thankfully the surgery worked well we all know that now don't we? (laughs) um And we actually saw responses pretty quickly after the surgery, like within days. Um, But then there were more complications. So we did face quite a few things after that. The bigger twin, Adrian, she needed two blood transfusions pretty much a week after the surgery. So, um, you know, I spent about three weeks preparing for this laser surgery. Um, and then a week later, they're telling me, "Okay, now one twin's got an is iron deficient. They need a um, a blood transfusion, or she won't make it." So yeah. I'm in for another procedure, which is, you know, I say this now, absolutely amazing what they can do. But I was terrified at the time because it's obviously through my belly, and they need to perform this blood transfusion on a fetus. It's yeah. Anyway, it's so it's it is it's,
0: ter- it's terrifying and scary to even picture that
1: um yeah. you just I can't it's just a, a world I'd wish it upon nobody and I'm thankful at the same time that we have these professionals that can do these do things this yeah. as the mother lying there um, having needle after needle go through my belly to perform a transfusion it's it was very very scary um, you know and again every time they they, Perform a procedure or surgery, um, you, you run the risk of losing the whole pregnancy. So every time they're about to go in, you've, you're lying there thinking, "Well, I know I was. You know, are my baby's now going to make it through this?" Yeah. So that was what 21 weeks, 21 tw- week, 21 to 23, where we had a couple of blood transfusions. Then again, and then after that, it was pretty much all right. Scan by scan. Um, Evie was very, very small. Um, They actually kept preparing me for the fact that she may not. And look, this might, this might, um, I will, I will explain what I'm about to explain, but, you know, it might be hard for some parents to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Which I understand that, but I will explain it, but Evie the smaller twin she was growing very very slowly and they just said to us look if she doesn't reach a viable weight and you need to have an um you know an emergency delivery but we feel that twin one will make it we don't want to deliver and we'll give twin one the best chance. Now this stuff sounds really I don't know if it's this stuff sounds it's hard to hear maybe for some people but it's basically i was always in the back of my mind and i've written it all in the book but in the back of my mind i just i was living with the thought of evie potentially passing away and then going along with the pregnancy um with twin one or adrian hopefully okay and that was really hard i just kept thinking come on evie just get to that viable way that viable weight then if they need to deliver we can deliver and we can try for both yeah i think it was like i can't remember what week but whatever week it was where she hit like 480 grams and my obstetrician said to me she's hit the viable weight if you need to deliver we're now trying for both so that took me a while to get my head around as well but that that almost that bit of relief where you know, they were both at a weight where if they had to come out, we were trying for both babies.
0: It's, it's I'm like I'm reading as I'm going, listening, because I'm just like I'm just so caught up in it all. Again, it's just like reading the book again. Um, it said, in the final weeks of my pregnancy, I began to think about how lucky I was in a unique kind of way. I had so much time to prepare for the worst outcome. I won't won't read the rest of that because my question is I think it's a really good, I'm good Probably not the right word, Mm. it's a really conscious person writing with such awareness again about what is going on in your situation. You know, you're just talking about the, the reality that one child may not make it. To allow the other child to make it, and but you've still got this awareness that you're you are lucky in this unique kind of way, and that that's that's an amazing way to look at things.
1: Well, it took a while to get there.
0: <laughs> it did. This is at 26 weeks, so <laughs> 20 yeah. How many weeks
1: is that? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think just having like learned a lot more about, um, you know, different types of pregnancies and what what people can go through, um, I did have so much time to prepare.
0: Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, all I had was time to prepare, really. <laughs>
0: yeah, you, um, couldn't, you couldn't even go for a walk. So.
1: Yeah, exactly. Although I did sneak those in.
0: <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to throw you under the bus there, but it's, it's in the book. It's in the book. Yeah.
1: Yeah, um, yeah I um, – t- yeah, towards the end, towards the end I – guess I was sort of learning more about myself in terms of my own anxiety. Like, you know, anyone that I guess sort of understands anxiety and maybe control and trying to control our own anxiety, me, um, I sort of learned as I got closer to the birth that I had to, to kind of let go of that control like, even the prepar- the mental preparation I went through for the surgery, it was like three weeks, and I just had all of this mental preparation, you know, um, from the night before packing my bag to when I go in there and organise all the paperwork and all all sorts of things. Um so much that when I actually went in for the surgery, they were gonna play some music for me and it completely threw my preparation. I'm like, no, 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 I can't have pop music. It's just not gonna work. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so towards the end, I had, I'd had i sort of changed a lot. Like even, I I've even written it, yeah, in the book in one of my diary entries that I just had to sort of let go and just whatever happens on a particular scan day or during the birth, Happen like I just need to trust the process, yeah. Um, but it took a long time to to sort of get to that point, yeah.
0: And it, the, the, the this calmness that sort of an awareness that overcame you at week 26 very, very quickly changed for the birth, yeah. Um, you're, uh, as you said here, you're terrified that the moment they arrive was the moment you'd lose them, mm. I get the, and this with your, you had a very complicated pregnancy. Um, there was always this awareness around that, you know, one, both, may not make it, may make it, all that. But every premature pregnancy, there's I, I know I was actually really calm throughout the, the four hours that Alicia went into labour and we had no idea that it was going to be premature. Yeah. But I, I still know that in my mind was, is the moment this baby's born the moment it stops breathing? And I, I remember... Them saying the baby's breathing on its own, mm. and you, that that will forever stick in my mind because the reality is we we were excited, we were confident and calm, but still in the back of your mind is is this it, and what have, yeah. have I connected myself? And I know you talk about this a lot that you you weren't connected, but there's still some form of connection with this child or children mm. that you you go, am I going to lose them? Yeah, so, of course. So this it's funny, you know, there's the start of your journey, but then this is just this fresh, fresh new start when these girls are born. And what what was that like? You know, how long did it take for you to feel, you know, an attachment to them? You know, what was that that period like through NICU?
1: Oh, I found it really hard. Like I found it and probably because we were starting. Including care, we were starting exhausted. Like we'd already come off months of the pregnancy and appointments and scans. Um, so to go into NICU on the back of that, it was it was literally an overnight transition, and it was almost like, okay, we're done with Mercy Perinatal now. Bang, we're into NICU, and it's and it was just. I went from being really, not that NICU and the NICU nurses and doctors didn't keep us well informed, they were excellent, but it's it was just different in there to how it was with Mercy Perinatal because with Mercy Perinatal they, you know, you've got your scan, you're having the conversation with them, you're talking about what's going on. I found it easier to follow what was going on in there for some reason. I got to... After And obviously, you know, hormones are flying everywhere. So my emotions are just all over (laughs) the shop. Fair enough.
0: Um, very much fair enough.
1: But I got into NICU thinking, okay, I want that control again. Like, here we go. What are we talking about? What's going on here? What's going on there? I thought I'd just, you know, carry on the same way as I did um, with the Mercy Perinatal team. And I reckon by about week, I think 12 days it was, I just went, okay, I can't carry on the way i was i did with mercy perinatal it's a completely different thing here um and i pretty much pretty much probably just broke down after that to be honest there was a lot of crying i'd i'd I, and, and again it would be i'd go and hide somewhere to cry like i I'd, i just wouldn't do it in front of anyone
0: uh, it's no oh, i don't want to pat you on the back too much but i, I do remember so my first, I spent the first night in hospital with Alicia, and I remember, and I actually um, messaged this to someone else. I was messaging someone who, um, a well-known person, and they they had an IVF and premature baby, and I've just been messaging them and um, sort of filled them in and said, that first 24 hours, I was fine. But mm-hmm. as soon as I got, I was alone in my car driving home. I cried for three hours straight, and I remember openly admitting that, and it was Due to reading your book, I went. I've got to just be open about Mm -hmm. our experiences here because this isn't. This is so unique, and we're going to need the people around us. So, Mm -hmm. and it was a huge credit to reading this prior. It allowed me to be vulnerable in what was a a really tough situation. And this leads me into my next question. Funnily enough, is and and as you just mentioned, you basically become powerless Mm -hmm. to help your kids. It it is it is unbelievable how powerless you actually are. Like people say, yeah, you can do skin to skin and you can change that. You're literally like, yeah, it's it's undescribable. And I remember a nurse said to me in there, she's like, she looked out the window and she said, "No one knows what's going on here. It is it is a different world." Yeah. And I was just like, I almost broke down when she said it because I was like. You're right. Everyone is, and, and rightfully they are going about their day-to-day business. But yeah, yeah, where you're it's, sitting in,
1: it's it's such a different world.
0: And you're sitting in there with these machines, which are not just your own babies, but these machines just all across the walls that are just beeping and beeping, and you're our. Our human system is when beeping is happening, beeping is bad.
1: Oh <laughs> and look, I, yeah. and I know you're the same. I those beeps, I swear, I would go home and my head would be ringing. You know, Um yeah, the yeah, and a lot of the those beepings, those beeps would be okay. Your baby, your baby's not breathing. Mm. You know, yeah, I, I just there's so many things that, and you'd be the same that. I've seen in there um, and especially with Evie because she was very, very sick in there um, where you just think, all right, am I, is my, am I about to lose my baby right now? Yeah.
0: It's, and it's, it's funny. You do talk about how you, you know, you struggle to name the twins. They're known as twin A and twin B. And yes. there was, I know I felt this, Right, probably until the day Ryder right left hospital, you you feel you always feel slightly detached because you want to protect yourself from the worst case scenario. Yeah. But, but even when they stop breathing or something just seems off, you still just sink, you, yeah. even, even though you, you feel like you're really detached. You're really not, oh,
1: you're not. It's just this facade,
0: <laughs> yeah, it, and it's it's a, it's those. Those mixed emotions—you are like yeah. I'm I'm strong and my baby's alright—and then bang, if the phone caught the phone rings and yeah. Yeah, they've had a an episode where they're not breathing or whatever—and yeah. you're like, holy shit—and you you, you yeah. break down and then you yeah. have to find a way to rebuild yourself before yeah, you walk back const- in
1: constantly. Um, yeah, and that that whole you know, I, I found it especially jumping f- from one twin to the next. I, I soon learned that it was. For me to conserve my own energy, it was impossible to do skin to skin with both babies and it wasn't often that we had them together um, or they were even next to each other. So we are often racing from one end of the nursery to the other. So I've got one in intensive care quite sick and Adrian, she had quite, it sounds ridiculous that I'm about to say quite a smooth run, but it's it's only in comparison to her sister, Evie,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: but, uh, you know, Adrian still had her own issues, but um, yeah, so just in comparison. So it was always going from one really sick baby to one that was, you know, kicking goals and, you know, we, you know, we're going to put her first outfit on and it was just, my mind was just a jumble. Like I just didn't know if I was coming or going and, um, and look, you know, you probably don't want to touch on what happened when they came home, but even, um that bond, I found it quite hard even when they came home for a long time. And that was probably because I was traumatized and really depressed. And I say anxious, but it was really more the trauma and feeling really depressed that was kicking in by the time they came home. And I think I was just still in survival mode. There was still a lot to deal with with Evie's health, but um, for a long time, it was just survival mode.
0: Yeah. And you, you're wrong. I do want to talk about it. Um, but, but I am very aware that you are a busy woman and you need to rush off. And I feel like there's a lot more to talk about. So I'm going to ask you the question on air. Um, do you want to catch up again and finish this chat? I would love to. We're, we're, I feel like we're halfway through or a little bit into the NICU journey and yeah. um, there is a lot and I've got another podcast with um, Emily where we talk about the NICU journey um, and I've spoken to three or four other parents just um, recently in the last couple of months who I've met who had Premier babies themselves. And yeah. the the experiences I guess we go through are, while the child goes through completely different things, the experiences, the emotions, the, the ups and downs we all experience. And as you just briefly touched on, that walking out of the hospital is another experience because um, it isn't like normal pregnancy where you, you you're usually out in a day, two, three days, four days, maybe at max for sort of yeah. the, when I say normal, no pregnancy is normal. It's it's a yeah, human, I know it's, it's an amazing know. human thing that happens, but
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. it's, it's something different
1: what we think would be nice to happen just a nice experience and you know I'll I'll just touch on grief for for a moment but it took me a really long time I mean months of therapy to realize that I was actually really grieving a lot of what I'd lost and it that was something that was quite new to me because I'm like why I, I I would cry and cry like I'd like I've lost, I used to cry like I lost my babies in there, yep. and I and I felt like that for a for a good few years, to be honest. Um,
0: we we might have we might have, to have three or four chats. <laughs>
1: <laughs> grief is a whole other thing. <laughs>
0: it, is, it is, and you're right. And it's a lot. There's a lot I've learned about grief yeah. in in the last couple of months. And we did have. Um, a grief and loss educator on the podcast as well who talked about that grief isn't just the loss of someone it's the it's experiences and you know grieving you can grieve what you missed out on a, in a normal pregnancy I did abbreviation marks people yeah. lis- listening probably yeah. going okay I can't see that <laughs>
1: no, um, but you, <laughs> you can
0: do it um and so you, you grieve those things that you, you naturally lost and I know. We we you know we grieved. We we saw other people celebrate. You know those with those place cards that first month, the second month, the third month. While
1: oh yeah, we,
0: we're in hospital. We can't put a place card in their crib or yeah. whatever. Yeah,
1: and and look, they they make a really good effort in NICU. I found and special care nursery, you know, to do those milestone celebrations. But I was just I I felt for me personally that I just couldn't do any of that. I just did not have any energy to celebrate those little milestones. Yep. And that was another thing where I thought, what's wrong with me? Like, I just, I can't, I'm not celebrating anything. So even then I just thought something wasn't right with me for not wanting to celebrate those things or for wanting to walk out of NICU. And I'd I'd, I'd only been in there for like 10 minutes and I'd leave. So... (laughs) Things that, you know, I talk about, yes, self-awareness, but there were things that were happening to me or that were just happening that even I couldn't explain and did need a lot of therapy to get help through that.
0: And we, so we'll leave it there, but in the next podcast I want for you and me to remember and for the audience that are listening that we will talk about just that um, complete lack of energy and yeah, not physically, not just physically, but emotionally and mentally yeah. that you have. And as you said, you know, you left Nicker in ten minutes one day. And I, I remember I, uh, when Ryder had a complication, I just looked at Alicia and said, "I can't be here," and I just walked out. Yeah. And she, but she knew that was her time to stand up. And that, and, yeah. and and vice versa, she had those moments as well. And um, yeah, I think a lot of those moments you. Yeah, and parenthood is, is that as well, where you're at home and you just go, I've had enough and you oh, need to take yeah. over. And,
1: yeah. Um, it's just,
0: it's just, yeah, yeah. You, you feel this little bit of guilt when you're leaving a baby who's, you know, but essentially you're powerless in there and you need to yeah. allow yourself that. So you we'll too. touch a lot more on that. Um, we'll touch on the skin to skin cuddles and those milestones that, you know, you're, you're accomplishing. Niku, which are, you know, the first snappy change and the first clothing Um, outfit and those things. They're they're much different to the normal pregnancy. So Mm -hmm. thanks again for joining me and um, I look forward to chatting again very soon.
1: Yeah, me too. Thanks.